0: This episode of Star Talk All Stars is being brought to you by MyRadar, the world's most popular radar weather app with over 35 million downloads. It's Star Talk All Stars, science. That's how it all starts. The hallmark of an all star team combines the best minds from all over the scene. We got friends of the show coming back, bringing laughs, jokes, and they're also dropping fast. So kick back, relax, and unwind. What you're going to find is going to blow your mind.
1: Hi, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, host of Star Talk Radio. I've recruited a crack team of scientists and science educators to help me bring the universe down to Earth. And they are the Talk on Star.
0: To Star Talk All Stars, I'm your host, Natalia Reagan. I'm a primatologist, comedian. I am the co founder of Boaz Network, which is an anthropology website. And I am joined today with my hilarious co host, comedian Chuck Nice.
1: Hey, Natalia.
0: Thanks for being here. Oh, he's a I pleasure. Miss you. I've been you on a show we with you in been a while. On the show for a while. Yeah. Oh, it's time. And today I'm really, really excited because I'm actually getting out of my comfort zone and into the world of astrophysics. And I have a, an amazing scientist here. She is an astrophysicist and senior science at the American Museum of Natural History, Dr. Jackie Fairty. Yeah. Thank you so Yay. much for
2: being here. I'm very happy to be here. Yes. This is very exciting to be sitting here, <laughs> Star Talk all starring.
0: Don't <laughs> make that a very- All
1: starring, Um, I like uh, that. I like it, all
0: starring. Yeah, Yeah. all starring you. All of us. All of us. All starring All doing it. And today, okay, I'm just going to go through what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the search for Planet Nine, brown dwarfs, uh, the latest comprehensive map of the Milky Way, and groundbreaking work of Citizen Science's project, Backyard Worlds, which you started. Mm -hmm. So we got a lot to talk about this episode, so let's do this, okay?
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's do it.
0: So, Jackie, I know that you're very excited about Gaia's latest uh, data set that came out with this map of the mil- Milky Way. And it basically came out with a lot more information about the stars that are out there. And I just want to know, what made you so excited about this map?
2: So, I, I think this is the greatest astronomical catalog ever introduced to humanity. Full stop. Like wow. This is Okay. And I, I put my hang, my head, my career on that statement kind of thing. Wow. Like that yeah. is and many I'm um, that, that sounds like a wow statement, right? Yeah. But I'm telling you it's true that um but the question for you guys is, had you heard of it? Have you heard of Gaia data releases?
1: Yes, but that's, that's not be because easy. I had heard yeah. of it.
2: Okay, it's time. But <laughs> so I here's
1: a... Once, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I've heard of it, not because I actually heard of it, but just because, you know.
2: Well, so what, what I want is for... I want more people to know about it. Right. Because it seems like a tragedy that I know this this thing exists out there that basically all of stellar astrophysics... All of astronomy changed on April 25th of this past year when they released this Mark your dates, guys. Yeah. April 25th, 2018 was a huge day for astronomy. Because on that day, what happened is that, to just back up for a second, all the laws of, of the universe as we know and understand them, everything we know is sort of founded on one really, really important parameter, and that is distance. How far away is an object? And you cannot look up at the sky and tell me how far away something is. No one can. I can I mean, guess. Poorly. You could guess. Very poorly. You could guess. Yeah, I can't can even guess. guess.
1: Okay? <laughs> I <have> terrible vision.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, your vision doesn't even help you. We don't have that kind of depth. Like, we don't have the ability to discern how far away the sun is. None of it. No. So, what Gaia—and uh, and so, to back up for one second here— all of stellar astrophysics and all so much of our our knowledge of stars uh, and, and laddering out to the universe was based on prior to April 25th, 2018, um, was based on a, a mission called Hipparchos, and that had 120,000 stars that they did distances. That's a lot of stars. Sounds like a lot a of stars, lot, right? right yeah. On April 25th, we got 1.7 billion <laughs> so it just upped the ante yep. and um and that's only one percent really of the stars in the galaxy. But that number isn't quite as important as so many different types of stars now in, in, in large quantities have distances measured for them. And we can we can ask so many more questions. We can investigate things in ways that we didn't have the ability to, to do before. So anything you do in astronomy right now, any any question, any important question you can ask in astrophysics will require you to know, to turn to that catalog and look at the distances. This is basically encyclopedia of the galaxy. You have to look for Gaia yeah. DR2 data. Yes.
0: Okay. It's wow.
2: So it's so important and it's the greatest map ever made of the Milky Way. Fascinating. It's fascinating. So cool. That I wish cool. more people oh actually well, knew about it because it was it was
0: now everybody listening. Hopefully, yeah, please. Everybody. Oh, that's so, right. So, okay. Yeah. DR2. This is this is this is your guys's homework. You need to go out and tell everybody that, that is listening right now, Needs to go out and tell everybody they see today about the Gaia map. Please, go out and do it.
2: It's like, just think about it as back in the day before we knew the Earth, we yeah. were mapping the Earth. Right. We're still in that kind of place when it comes to understanding the Milky Way. There are so many easy discoveries to make if you have this measurement, and it's the same as like we can fly a drone around and get aerial footage sure. of the Earth now and know so much more. Absolutely, right. Like remote places. Now, that's 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 the equivalent of what we just did. We just cartographed like we were, we're the map makers right now in astronomy and we, we did something. Humans did something so important. And on our epitaph, like on humanity's epitaph, I would put you know, measuring the parallaxes to
0: 1.7 billion stars as one of our great accomplishments. Drop that mic, <laughs> Drop that
1: Humanity,
2: <laughs> mic that right there. One, but
0: yeah. So I and, and you actually went ahead and, and published something shortly thereafter, right? Yeah, I published a couple of things. Um, three days after
2: the um, after the data release, there were about 50 astronomers that were all here in New York City. We all we all gathered the Flatiron Institute. It's not far from here, on 23rd Street or 20, 22nd Street, and we um, it was kind of like one of these FOMO days for astronomers. <laughs> nice, I bet yeah. It was <laughs> a couple of us were like, "Oh my God, we're so excited about Gaia! The day it drops, we're like, we're we're gonna hack the crap out of it. We're just gonna so, open it up. We're gonna look at all of this data. It's so much." And other people started to hear people from Princeton, people people from California, people from. Um, John Hopkins and this FOMO feeling, and all of a sudden it went from like three or four of us, and then it was 20, and it was 30, and it was like over 50 astronomers all together, just, just working on the data. And so what I wanted to do with the data was very specific. I wanted to find the closest thing okay. that uh, we hadn't found before. Right. And within three days, I saw I saw an object that was new. And, um, and 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 uh, immediately got some extra data for it because somebody else was excited and had a telescope and I was like, oh, I found this thing. they got a spectrum and we published it right away. And then I was on a couple That's of other crazy. papers. yeah like, it's, it's, <laughs> really, it's like really three fun
1: days to do just three days three later. Days. That's I could have our, done
0: it in two minutes. Uh, right, <laughs>
1: exactly, because it's right. The data's there. Right? You already have it. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. That, yeah. So these are
0: yeah. So, w- w-
1: so wait a minute. T- t- can you tell us about the object? Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
2: what it, uh, what it was was uh, I study brown dwarfs, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a, in a little bit. I study these really low mass things that are so they're not stable enough to have um, to burn like stars do. Right. These kind of cool through their lives, um, and but they're everywhere. They're in all directions, and they're so faint you can't see them with your eye they, they don't give off optical light they give off infrared light And they can, just like anything, they can hide in places because they're faint. And one place that's really hard to look, the the one place that you can hide in the Milky Way or in our galaxy, is in the galactic plane of the galaxy. It's really crowded. There's a lot of stars. And what I did was I kind of zoned in on that area, which sometimes it's called the zone of avoidance by astronomers because there's
1: <laughs> yes. I've caused that zone. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. <yeah. laughs> um, the, oh,
0: you're sitting next to him.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what am I supposed to avoid here? No. no. So the zone of avoidance of the Milky Way, also, it's like highly trafficked. There's just so many things, but they're really far away. So right. as soon as you can tell me how far away an object is, now I can look in that area and search. And so I looked in the galactic plane and found this object. It's a um, really low mass Brown dwarf, what's well, a medium-sized mass brown dwarf? Mm-hmm. Uh, moving at a at a pretty hefty rate. So stars that are close enough, brown dwarfs that are close enough, you can actually watch them move. It's just their motion around the galaxy. Great so cool. yeah. yeah. question. How much does a low mass brown dwarf weigh? <laughs> oh, great question. So the mass of brown dwarfs, the low mass end is like uh, um, in debate. Uh, the high mass end, where the boundary of where you could get enough mass that you can ignite and right. become a star, is about seventy-five times the mass of Jupiter.
0: Jeez. Mm. wow,
1: that's, that's still it. pretty doggone big when you think, about it. you think about yeah. it. When you think about it, that's really big. So but much for it's being not. A dwarf. It's not big when you compare <laughs> yeah. it to like some of the. Bigger stars yeah.
2: out there, yeah. right? Well, Absolutely. seventy-five times the mass of Jupiter, but it basically has the radius of Jupiter.
0: Right. So it's just the density just would the be density, different. Right. But I'm curious about this new Gaia dataset and how this might help us find Planet Nine. Oh, Planet so Nine! So I want to hear—I want you to hear your take on Planet Nine first and foremost, and what exactly, what you exactly? Guys is actually Planet call Nine? it
1: Planet Nine, Planet Nine. <laughs> instead of Planet x
0: because oh. you know
1: you can't call it planet 9 because some people don't believe that there are nine planets.
0: Okay, Pluto lover, mm. back yeah. off, uh, okay. Pluto. <laughs> 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 I mean,
2: you're more than welcome to comment on that if you feel, if you, you want to discuss the this Let me it, tell you something. Right? Take it up oh. I oh. got no
1: serious dog in this fight. That's you all. You can all have I'm it. Saying. I can't have a dog
2: in this fight because I'm an astronomer, but you you right. could if you want to say your love or dislove for the word planet 9. I don't
1: <laughs> Yeah, I you know what, here's the thing. Planet 9 sounds pretty cool because it's it sounds like it's a um uh, science fiction sounds
0: like a TV show. Like a TV show, yeah, yeah, you know what I
1: mean. Whereas Planet yeah. X just sounds like you know, like like it's in witness protection. Yeah, basically.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I but I am curious if you think that this map is going to help us find Planet Nine. If you think that's
2: yeah, well, potential. so so I think that there. This has been in the news recently mm-hmm. about the potential of using Gaia data in order to find Planet Nine. So just to go backwards of what Planet Nine might be, um, and it is kind of the name that's been used as if there that Pluto being considered a non-planet that there is once there's eight. So Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and now this object. So the idea is in order to explain the solar system, to explain like Mars's position, Mars's size and the outer planets as well, we do think that um, when the solar system was forming, there was a lot of different objects around that are not around right now. So the debris was flown around, was was tossed. A melee. Mm, Yeah, it was probably some crazy throw around, toss around of objects. And um, very likely there were gas giants, like a gas giant that gets tossed off. And the planet 9... Messy. Is Yeah, Planet Nine. But it helps if you put another giant planet in to the equation when you look at the planets forming early on, it helps you figure out why Mars is where it is and why Mars is the size it is and in the position it is. Um, So it's not a crazy theory to think that there could have been gas giants that got tossed out. Right. Um, And the idea of Planet Nine is it's an object that um, the strongest theory, if it's real, is that it would have been ejected during the solar system's formation... Um, and that it was, it was recovered, not because we've ever seen it, but because what we've looked at is the way other things move. Right. So you can see these, these outer objects, Sedna being one of them, which is this object that a lot of people might know. But then a couple of other like really exciting objects that are in the Kuiper Belt. And those objects were moving in a way that indicated that they had they were being perturbed by something, and then there were two astronomers. Something, <laughs> and, and it is yeah. darkness because it's yeah. yeah. lurking can't out see it. there. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. not see it. Yeah. So it's a dynamical argument right now that there is an object that's pushing on these other things, and that based on how they're moving, we've extrapolated a possible position and orbit of this this other planetary object. Wow. Okay, and so it probably has a core. Like our gas giants sure. do, um, but it's way out there, so it would be considered an ice giant. Maybe the estimates, and these are these are estimates based on numbers that you get from theoretically modeling mm-hmm. uh, how this thing might have perturbed the other objects, is like 10 times the mass of Earth or so, um, way out there on an orbit that's like 15,000 to 20,000 years to go around the Sun, highly Holy eccentric. Moly. yep. So, if it's out there, a lot of people want to find it. Of course. uh, It would be a fun thing to find. And uh, also a key object to know and understand if you want to really understand our solar system and right. how it formed yeah. and how it's evolved.
0: yeah especially the formation that's exactly yeah. yeah we actually we want to take if we can get one cosmic query in before the and let's see we if we can get a, a cosmic query that
1: was so fascinating yeah. I was no, like I, 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 I forgot all about I forgot yeah. we were doing cosmic queries, cosmic yeah. queries. yeah okay uh, we always start with the Patreon patron for cosmic queries because they give us money and so <laughs> if you support Thank us you can uh, you can also have priority for your questions. So let's go with Will J. And Will J. says this. How sure are we that there is a Planet Nine? You kind of just did that, but it, maybe you can talk a little bit more about the measurements that uh, cause us to know. So what is, what's moving What is moving that lets us know that there is an object that is pushing, pulling, or perturbing uh, uh, these other objects to cause them to move?
2: So there's a fun story on this where the... the the real, the real seriousness to this current understanding of Planet Nine came in a paper in 2000 and I think it was like 2013 by two astronomers, Trad Trujillo and um, Scott Shepard. And I happened to be working with Scott Shepard at the time when I was a postdoctoral fellow at the Carnegie's Department of Terrestrial Magnetism. Shout out to them because they're amazing. <laughs> um, and... And Scott's office was down the hall from mine, and he he's just searching for objects, mm-hmm. distant objects in our solar system. And he found, among uh, other things, he found this one object, which was kind of big and kind of exciting, and him and Trad wrote this paper, and there were like, not I can't remember how many objects there were, but there were a good number of objects, and this is what's kind of fun. It was in, the object's called, like, it's got a long name, but this one particular object's like 2013 VP. Um, and at the time, if you remember in 2013, um, this object is particularly one that is a nail in the coffin in how it moves on the existence of Planet Nine. And... Um, it was the, the the abbreviation of VP. We had a different administration at that time. Yes. So not our current one. Uh, but yes. Biden was the vice president. Mm-hmm. And so to be cute, because it had VP in how they had to name the <laughs> object, they were like, we're going to nickname it Biden cool. because that's fun. And then they got a call.
0: Uh-oh. Because... <laughs> It's
2: an object that is out there. It's small, it's rocky. And, you know, small rocky things hit the earth. And so the fear was that the Biden camp wasn't super comfortable with that nickname because... What if it hits the earth? Like politicians oh are like,
0: I don't, we don't want to be associated with an it's like being named after or getting a hurricane, you know, like, yeah. Who wants to have, Ladies and gentlemen, Biden
1: Jackie. is coming to destroy the earth. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know who, got, who called Scott, but he did get this phone call that he talked about. And he's like, we're still going to call it Biden, though. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so it is still referred to as Biden. So awesome. Biden is one of the objects that has this this orbit that's particularly strong. But to answer the question of how sure are we? I don't have a good way of, of giving you the cur- the the full stats on that. There are a camp of astronomers
0: that are absolutely convinced that it's there. Mm-hmm. And there are others that are far more skeptical. Okay, so we have to wrap up this part of the show, but stay tuned and we're gonna be right back and answer your cosmic always queries. Always truth you can keep in your show. I can run the world from house. I run the world from
1: my mama's house. I can run the world from my mama's house. I can run the world from my mama's house the world
0: This episode of Star Talk All Stars is brought to you by My Radar.
1: Bringing space and science down to earth. You're listening to Star Talk.
0: I'm your host, Atali Reagan, joined with comedic co-host Chuck Nice, yes, and, uh, astrophysicist Dr. Jackie Faraday. Thanks so much for being here, and we're going to jump right back into Cosmic Queries because we, we got a lot of really good questions.
1: Yes, Chuck, we give them do. To me. And this next question, um, this I, you know what I got to tell you that uh, this next question is brought to you by My Radar, the world's most popular weather app with over 35 million downloads. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> This is a Cat Daddy. Uh, Cat Daddy wants to know this. Since Planet Nine is projected to be an ice giant, is there any reason to suspect it would share any life-sustaining possibilities, such as Enceladus? Um, perhaps a liquid of some sort? I'm sure it's too early to really tell. But, you know, that's 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 a cool question. Yeah. And and a cool kind of like uh, you know, speculation. Like,
0: I like your thinking, cat daddy. Yeah,
1: but but where it would be. Uh, as uh, I mean, that's pretty far out,
0: right? Well,
2: well, I think also there's confusion about what ice giant means. Right. So Neptune and Uranus are the ice giants of our solar system. Okay. And Jupiter and Saturn are the gas giants. We use the word ice, astronomers are not very good with um, naming things, they get a little bit confusing. Like our periodic table, <laughs> anything that's heavier than hydrogen is called a metal. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, when we say metals, we mean something very different than what you think of when you think of a metal. And so ice giants has more to do with um, the volatiles. So it means that if rather than, it's a, it's a giant, the Planet Nine is, is giant if it exists. It's got a core that was like a core... That a gas giant would have, mm-hmm. like Jupiter or Saturn would have, uh, but it then accreted a, a gas rather than more material like a rocky planet necessarily would, and uh, because it's so far out there, it's got um, it's just volatiles rather than like hydrogen and helium in the outer atmosphere like Saturn and Jupiter have. It's got like methane, ammonia, and, and water—all the, all
1: the good stuff that's mm. perfect for no, life. It
2: sounds like right. it smells but great. Enceladus <laughs> is more like a rocky. It's not rocky. Mm-hmm. per se but it is it's got an ice shelf and it's a frozen a fr- ocean right so, underneath yeah right. so that that's a, a complete and a much smaller object so the right. two of them are very different and so i think it's just ice giant we call um enceladus an ice world rather than like an ice, an moon, an ice moon, moon or right. something like that I like
0: right. that yeah it's ice pretty world. right yeah, it's pretty like no the, the word world and and sometimes- also the liquid
1: underneath enceladus is expressed <laughs> When geysers, yes, As so cool, as
2: right,
1: <laughs> uh, coming coming through the ice itself, yeah. Yeah. and these plumes that are visible, right?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I like you can see them. It's the greatest object in the solar system. Oh. You know, I tried to convince my little sister Erin to name her third child Enceladus, which because, is, by the oh, way, great name. the yeah. coolest oh, damn man. name ever. Wow. She said no. She, oh, Aaron, I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, right? I'm I sure thought a, a nickname great... of Selly would be yeah, really cute. That's not bad. I had a whole campaign. Ah. I give lots of public talks, and every public talk I brought it up. And I was like, take a vote, everybody. Is it a good name? <laughs> right. After I described Enceladus and the geysers, the plumes, the fact that it's spewing out so much material that it fills the E-ring yeah, of Saturn. That's right. And Aaron. that you could stick your tongue out and take a lick, and you'd probably be tasting microbial life of, of, of a different world. So... Wow. And yeah, is kind of the greatest poetic. Thing out there. It is yeah. pretty
1: great. Hey, so any, anybody out there uh, if you want to pick up the mantle and celadus is hanging there for you. Its
2: a name is going to It's, it's start a
1: name. name. It's very yeah. cool. It's so here's uh, go out there, have a kid. And name it Anceladus. The
0: top name of 2019, thanks to you. It actually
1: is a really cool name.
0: (laughs) We have another... It is a really good name. I'm I'm thinking.
1: All right. Hey, Cat Daddy. uh, Good question. Good question. Um, uh, Great discussion there. Um, Katie Caldwell from Instagram... Hello, Katie. uh, ...wants to know this. Uh, How did theories of Planet Nine (laughs) originate? And what is the probability of a planet 10 Ooh. existing with some speculation that its gravity is tilting our sun? Oof. Wow. Our That's, sun. Hmm. Mm. Wow. Uh,
2: I mean, could that happen? No. <laughs> could that well, happen? That
1: the object and object could... That couldn't happen. So
2: what happens, I, this, I can just pivot on this and say that Please. I think... Um, for uh, a couple of twice at least i've seen this story on social media trending mm-hmm. that jupiter does not orbit the sun have you seen this i have terrible yes. trend in social media it's okay. big thing Come on,
1: and, guys. and it, you know what though it is it keeps picking up
2: yeah, Steam. Every now and again, yeah. it comes back out. Yeah. And so it's an interesting, the way they decided to spin this idea of Jupiter is so big, you can fit all the other planets in it, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, um, Saturn, Uranus, the mass of Planet all of nine. that, the whole Kuiper belt, the whole asteroid belt, all of it can stick inside of Jupiter. It's so massive. All of the planets are orbiting the sun. Jupiter has so much mass that it actually orbits the sun, the center of mass between um, the sun and Jupiter is not at the center of the sun. It's outside of the sun. And so it's causing the sun to wobble a little bit. Ah. And that's actually how we find exoplanets around other stars. Jupiter's doing it. So you can see, see that. Jupiter. So you, the, Jupiter is the bohemus of the solar system doing mm-hmm. that. There's nothing. It sounds like the this query might be about: Is there another object that could account for a um, the making wobble. the sun the wobble, wobble for wobble. the sun. But, I mean, it's Jupiter is the
1: we know that it's Jupiter's Jupiter, the winner right. of
2: that award. Exactly. Um, but then, and the theories of Planet Nine have just come from the looking at these transneptunian objects, Neptunian objects, and Kuiper belt objects, and and watching how they orbit. Right. So this current, this is not the first time we've, we've theorized a Planet Nine. It's the one that has the most legs in terms of a theory right now for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Cool. Okay. Very
1: cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. How long do you have to observe these objects to see the variations or the anomalies that let you know that they're being affected?
2: So, if you, there's a method for finding Planet Nine mm-hmm. that um, some of us are going after. It's in our solar system, so you can't just look for something that's zipping because it's so close by, meaning you're watching its motion around the galaxy, right. because it's moving with us. Okay. But what you can measure is what's called its parallax, which is what Gaia did, mm. which we were just talking about before, okay. to measure a distance, because you would measure, you would watch it move. Because it's um, it's far enough away from us that you would use the same effect of like when you stick out your thumb, you look at something distant, and you blink one eye or the other. You she's watch... actually
0: doing it, guys. Oh, yes, I'm. That's she's right. doing. No, no, no. You're eye on the radio. radio. I'm just let. Letting... Well, I mean, they can probably watch it on at home.
2: If well, want. where you blink your eye, you hold your thumb out, and you would watch your thumb jump back and forth from with a distance. camera
1: one, camera, camera one. two, camera one camera too.
2: Wayne's world <laughs> nice. right, exactly yeah. <laughs>
1: absolutely right swing
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so you could measure the parallax You and for that you wait you, you need measurements over six months because that's when you get the largest effect okay, okay so take an six image months. and an image and then you blink them and you look for that
0: Cool. Search
2: away, and you could. There's citizen science. We're going
0: to talk about that a little bit more. You do? Um, I, yeah, that's cool. That's God. so cool. And what? What? Just you have a great way of breaking down what is a planet, and also your thought on the word planet. Ah, oh, the word planet. I know you've got a. You've
2: got do a, have a got very opinions. strong. I do have a strong opinion I like about this. I um, so the word planet brings about so many emotions in people. There's so much emotional baggage that comes with that word. Mm. And it is not really well defined. We can all get on board with that. Scientists... Depending on where you fall on the camp of wanting Pluto to be officially called this word versus not, I think everybody can agree there's no good way to define the word planet. Uh, And that's also because science isn't giving us any help here. It's not actually providing us with a very clear distinction between objects. And that's really all this definition would mean. It brings nothing scientific to the table, though. And because of that, I do not like to use that word. Because it also gives weight to things that they don't necessarily need to be weighted as more important. So why are Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune the only ones that fall into a category that no one else can ever win into? I mean, it's, it's, it's a club. It's, it's a, a club, club. Yeah. that doesn't mean anything to scientists. So, um, so from that perspective, I really prefer to use the word world because world really describes everything. Anything in the solar system that's really interesting—from the planets, the, the classic planets, to Pluto's included in this—Enceladus right. in all of its glory, instead of being called a moon, which moon typically invokes people to think of our own moon, right. which is a dead place it that really has, is. yeah, beautiful, beautiful in our our night sky. Reflects
1: yeah, light absolutely. wonderfully. Yeah.
2: Such yeah. a nice thing to look at it Exactly. At but there's no life there. Enceladus is so much more than a moon. I World. It's an ice world. It is an ice world, and so the other aspect of this is that not just on the low mass end, with Pluto having been classified as a planet when it was first discovered, then then you know kicked around, and in 2006, in- astronomers voted on a definition that outed Pluto, and um, well, some some planetary scientists refuse that uh, and still call it a planet. Fine in the scientific literature, um, but on the other end, on the high mass end, what's the most massive object that be- can be called a planet? And that is its own giant problem. And that actually comes into my science. I study these objects yes. that are in the gray area between being called a planet, being called a brown
0: dwarf. We're just mm-hmm. not sure. A rogue world, a floating world, like out rogue there. world, yeah. Real quickly, can you define or just tell us a little bit about what you study, which is is brown dwarfs?
2: Yeah, so I study these objects that really uh, blur the line between stars and planets. So they probably form the way stars do, where you've got a lot of gas and a giant cloud. Something causes the cloud to collapse, um, and f- it fragments into pieces. And the smallest little pieces that form are objects that um, that that they don't know it, but they don't have enough mass to get their core hot enough to have nuclear burning. Instead, what happens is all the electrons that are in um, that are that are in one of these objects, you squash them together when you're collapsing an object when you're forming an object to try and get the core hot enough to ignite nuclear burning to get a push back where you get a a sort of like a a balance between the star collapsing and the pressure from the inside of the heat the nuclear burning pushing back out so there's a balance right Mm -hmm. but in the case of brown dwarfs there's this thing that happens Electrons do not like to be pushed together. Mm. It's like when Don't you like get onto the subway <laughs> right. and it's an empty car, mm. and you know, like you're And the sitting person
1: somewhere. sits right next to you. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, dude, what is your problem? Right. Like the whole car is empty and you're sitting right next to me, you know, yeah. and then they just turn to you and go, So do you like the Yankees? <laughs> and you're
2: just like, oh, this is creepy. So go ahead. That's <laughs> electrons. There you go. It's, just, it's just sweet. So, so right when when you push them too close to, to together, electrons just are like, that's it. Electron degeneracy pressure is what we call it. It kicks in, it halts the collapse altogether, and it's like no more. You can't push us closer together. And so the and the object's temperature never gets hot enough in order to get nuclear burning going. So instead, these objects just cool throughout their lives. And they morph in what they look like. They can look like low-mass stars. And then they can look like Jupiter when they get cool enough after a couple billion years. So these objects run the gamut in between, depending on their mass and depending on where they are in their evolutionary state. And so they're intriguing. And they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. They're actually pretty easy to form because they're these like little fragments that break off. When giant molecular clouds are collapsing. So, you know, I study I love the ones that are weird. I'm really into studying <laughs> objects that like too. don't fit the norm. Cool. Yep. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of studying the objects that don't exactly fit to the way it, so brown dwarfs definitely fall into that, mm-hmm. but then there's also brown dwarfs that don't even fit into the brown dwarf fitting in thing.
1: Nice weirdos. The I like dwarf that. of the dwarf. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And just as an aside, what we discovered mm-hmm. a couple of years ago is when we were looking at all the brown dwarfs when I started my PhD thesis somebody handed me a group of like the weirdo brown dwarfs they're like these don't make sense These don't look like everything. You, Jackie. Yeah. They're like, go have fun with these little guys. And so I was measuring their distances because I'm a distance kind of person. It's an important measurement. Parallax. Parallaxes. There you go. Using the term. So I was measuring parallaxes and left and right. It's like, I think I know why these things are weird. Um, They're they're young. They're not. uh... Oh, that
1: would make sense.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Then. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Let me tell you, as the parent of two teenagers. (laughs) Yeah.
0: knows. Weirdos. (laughs)
2: It was suspected that they were young, but then when we got the distances, it was like, you belong with these other young stars. And then once you knew, then that meant we could figure out how old they were. And determining the age of a star is actually one of the most difficult measurements that you can make. It's really hard to figure out how old stars are. They don't answer when you ask them. Definitely
1: yeah. not. Hey. No, they're oh. kinda, hey, how old are you? Kind of <laughs> like actors. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or just in general
0: people. Right. Yeah, I don't want to answer that question. Exactly. We're actually gonna have to wrap up the oh, show. Yeah. This is so exciting. I love all this blarant brown dwarf talk. Um but don't stay tuned because we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about how you guys can get involved in citizen science.
1: Unlocking the secrets of your world and everything orbiting around it. This is Star Talk.
0: Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your host, Natalia Reagan, joined with comedic co host, Chuck Nice. Thank you so much for being here. And fantastic astrophysicist, Dr. Jackie Faraday from American Museum of Natural History. And we are talking brown dwarfs, Planet Nine. We're going to talk now about some citizen science and backyard worlds. Backyard worlds. Backyard worlds. worlds. So this is awesome. This is actually an opportunity to kind of democratize science. Everybody can kind of play a part in discovering. New objects in the sky. Backyard remember, worlds. I remember, backyard worlds.
2: Yeah, oh. backyard worlds is a um, is like a the brainchild of myself and Mark Kushner, who's an astronomer at um, Goddard, NASA's Goddard, and um, Mark's really into citizen science, mm-hmm. and I'm really into brown dwarfs, and <laughs> um, and so Mark and I were were talking, and the there the idea of discovery. In the solar neighborhood, things that are near you that you haven't found. Planet nine is one of them. Mm. And not just that. There are objects like brown, brown dwarfs that might be lurking closer than the closest
0: star. Sweet. Yeah, yeah and, and right. They're hard. I mean, you can't. That's the cool thing. Is you can't even see them. So it's like you. you I, see I them. heard you could almost be right next to one and not even know it's there because you. It's just infrared light. But yeah.
2: In. So they're so faint that they're really hard to find, especially the cold ones. And um, so we launched this program because in order to 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 properly look for things, what you might want to do is you want to look in the infrared because, like we've been talking about, they give off their light in the infrared. Right. So. Um, So there was this survey that NASA did. It's called the Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer. It was a spacecraft. It was launched, and it ran for a couple of years, imaging the entire sky uh, in mid-infrared wavelengths. So your eye cannot see these wavelengths. And it was one of the purposes was to find a really cold brown dwarf that was as close as the sun, and um, I'm sorry, as close as the sun. I just scared myself on that. You guys should have picked up on that. Would be really bad. Uh, That uh, and and so well, what. One of the ways that you could find an object is by blinking images, flipping through images, and seeing if something moves when you've taken images with enough time between them. And Wise had imaged the sky, and then a couple of years later, it's taken more images. Right. So, so, and
1: we're talking the same sector, right?
2: The whole the sky. Whole sky. Over and over again.
0: Gotcha. it. So, so, millions of little flip books, right? It's-
2: yeah, so Backyard World is a citizen science portal where you log on and you get presented tiny clips that we call flip books of a very small portion of the sky. And we ask you to blink through them and let us know if you see anything move. So this is, and this is, it's so interesting because I am really bad at this, at blinking (laughs) the images and searching for things moving. That's part of why I wanted to do the Citizen Science Project aspect of it. Because citizens, you guys may have way better eyes than I do at this kind of thing. Like you're looking for small details in an image. A little tiny A tiny Mm -hmm. motion and some of them are big and are obvious, but there's others that are just not that large. So uh, we're kind of empowering people that have a skill that we don't have that's so useful in astronomy. So that's part of why I love it Uh, and it lets anybody, kids can participate. Uh, You can do it from your, you can do it in your pajamas at home. Please don't do it after you've had a couple of
0: drinks. drinks.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: you see, see all kinds of <laughs>
2: I saw
1: aliens! Mm-hmm. I did! <laughs> well, I just, so,
0: folks at home, I just so you know, I actually today went on because I wanted to see yeah. and I actually filmed myself uh, logging on and registering. It took me less than two minutes. So it's super quick to do. It's super... It's fun. I, I actually got to do a little bit while, well, you know, before I came here just to see if I saw any... I didn't see any movement. but. That's Maybe I okay. need to have a few drinks. Just- you have
2: to see about a. You have to flip about a hundred and twenty books before okay. you would catch a mover, uh, and that's just based on the number of objects that I can tell you almost for sure. There's there's lots of objects that move in the sky that aren't going to be what I I necessarily would is new. Like some of them are going to be known. Lots of people submit objects that are known. Um, we vet them after. It's a whole okay. process with us working with our
0: citizens. sure. Yeah, because you can't try. I mean. You don't want to trust every citizen out there, and I heard that it's uh, each flipbook gets 15 pairs or 15 people on. You know, get to look at it. So they that can... was our
2: old method, but oh. now we've retired. We 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 trust people a little bit more now. Oh. So before it was 15 eyes per flip book. Mm-hmm. That means that like if if Chuck goes and looks and is like, oh my God, I just saw five objects moving. <laughs> right. I'm not gonna trust Chuck right away. No.
1: Honestly, if in. I if I saw no object oh, moving, you shouldn't trust me. Or one object moving, <laughs> you should, because I'm the guy who was drinking.
2: Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, no. that's okay. Well, so the the one thing you do get out of this so seven days after we launched a, sci- a citizen. Actually, it was it was one citizen that came to our attention. Uh, his name is Bob, and he was a science teacher in Tasmania. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Bob, so we started calling this object that Bob. Saw a Bob Star. Oh, that's great! Yeah, that's how we were kind of like <laughs> Biden. I was just bringing yeah. up Biden. We were calling this object Bob Star because Bob had brought it to our attention seven days after we launched. Um, I got director's discretionary time on a telescope, grabbed a spectrum, and it was a very low-mass brown dwarf that no one had found before. Wow. uh, Just over 100 light years or so away. Wow. Yeah, and so we published a paper almost right away, and on it were five citizen scientists on a peer-reviewed astrophysical journal paper. Cool. And since then, I have won Hubble Space Telescope Time, Spitzer Space Telescope Time. We've won the largest telescopes in the world, Keck, uh, in Hawaii, I've won lots of IRTF time, um, time on national telescopes, all because of what citizens have discovered. Wow. We've won NASA grants, and I'm in the process of writing a big paper on a lot of the follow-up discoveries, and there are going to be many citizen scientists that are co-authors on this paper. That's amazing. Oh, that's They're part so- of the process. Yeah. And this is really important science to be doing. It really. And yeah. you
1: know, the funny thing is, when you say that it's... It really is super important because they're it's, they're actually doing what 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 it would take like forever yeah. for you guys to do. Mm-hmm. Like if you just left it up to the astronomers or the astrophysicists, they would it would take it would forever. Take, yeah. But the fact is, Millennium. that I call it I call it uh, the cosmic archaeological dig because yeah. it's <laughs> the same way that you do. So you like you square off. You grid, you make that grid, right? And then everybody gets a little Mm -hmm. square in that grid. And then you just get your little brush and you, like, kind of just dust away. And it's like, hey, I found something. And it's kind of the same. It's really cool. Yeah. and, And the fact is that anybody... Anybody can be we a can part it. of it.
2: Anybody yeah. can be a part of it. It's, it's yeah. It, it, it's one of these ways of, uh, you know. There's a lot of people that don't feel like they could do science. There's a lot of women that discount themselves as scientists in part because they don't know where their access points are, and this is one way where well, one, I'm a woman in STEM, and so I'm I'm always looking to open a door for another woman hallelujah. to get in. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. if it's it it to me, it's a way of saying like this. All you need is the internet and access access to the internet and a, and and a computer but you can get that from the library mm-hmm. and what you're doing is you're helping to map the solar neighborhood that map might contain planet 9 but it might contain mysterious intriguing objects that are a little bit more nuanced in their importance but they're so intriguing for scientists and they they're helping you unlock the secrets you're a part of the process that we really need to get done so anybody can participate backyardworlds.org
0: yeah get your accounts backyard worlds Worlds. um i actually real quickly i I wanted to uh touch on the fact that it's it's you and and emily rice and kelly cruz um all are are part of uh backyard worlds and and just uh your role in sort of, uh, inspiring and also reaching out to, to women in STEM and and inspiring other, you know, mentoring other women. So I just want to give you a shout out because yeah. that's that's amazing work and and it's I, I think incredibly inspiring. So, so thank so you.
2: Emily Rice is one of the is another StarTalk all-stars. Exactly. Host. Shout out to Emily. Shout out to
0: Emily. Yeah, she's fantastic. Uh,
2: and Kelly Cruz, who's a professor at uh, Hunter College. So Kelly, Emily and I, we run a research group that we call Brown Dwarfs in New York City or BDNYC. And so it's three of us, and we uh, are—I say this, and I'm fairly certain it's true. We run the largest brown dwarf research group um, in the world, basically, a number of people that we have doing brown dwarfs uh, here in the city. And interestingly enough, or maybe not interestingly enough, there's (laughs) three of us women that are the leads of this research group. We family mentor— and we have a uh, uh, 90% women that come into our research group. We do not recruit only women. We recruit male, female, a- anybody. Uh, whatever you identify as, anybody, come on in with us. But we do get a um, huge percentage of women that end up in our research group. That's wonderful. And yeah. uh, anybody can come in, but... You should do it. Women are there. That's cool. The women are there. The women, cool. are there.
0: women in great. STEM.
1: Maybe I'll join, and then change that
0: policy. (laughs) men as well. Your your career for Chuck. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do a quick game real quick. Uh, It's basically who, what, when, and where, uh, and why. Uh, To get to know a scientist, we're going to do it very quickly, so I'm going to put together some questions. Uh, I'm going to throw them in this R2-D2 cookie jar. I'm shaking it up. This is a who question. Go ahead and pull it out, and if you can, just give us a quick answer. There you go. Okay, so I should read this? Yes who would you love
2: to collaborate with next? Oh, that feels Ooh. so awkward. Cause they may, I
1: know, around. I know. And you gotta, you gotta actually pick somebody. And then, and then if you're not collaborating with them, the next person you're collaborating with is just like, I know you really want to be with them.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can, you can pass if you want. But. No,
2: I mean, I have, I have my, my wish list of people. There's somebody that I, I don't quite collaborate with enough. And that's a woman named Caitlin Allers. She's a professor at Bucknell. Okay. Uh, shout out to Caitlin and shout to Bucknell. To um, And Caitlin's really close by, and I think she's one of the most brilliant women astronomers that I know, and I love talking to her. And so we're looking to collaborate more right now.
0: I hope this leads to something. Yeah. Here's a what question. A what question? What? What?
2: I'm ready to ask the what. Okay, Okay. I'm going (laughs) to... Okay, ready? Yes. What would you tell a future aspiring astrophysicist? Mm. So I would tell a future aspiring astrophysicist what I would tell kind of anyone, and that is you're way better off failing at first. Don't be afraid to and be okay with it when it happens because the, the, you, fa- you are guaranteed to fail in life. You are guaranteed to fail at almost anything you try in astronomy too, a little bit. So do it early and then you'll feel better about it when it happens later. But embrace your failures. That's great advice. That's great advice. That's great advice. And, great advice. and
1: listen, I've, I've taken that advice to heart. I, <laughs> I fail early and often.
0: So. I fail all the time. Yeah. Here's a one question. No, you're, that's where I'm a Viking. <laughs>
2: Okay. When did you know you wanted to become a scientist? Oh,
1: that's yeah. a cool question.
2: That is a cool question. I do what um, I can. So my my path to being a scientist is one I'll tell you in twenty seconds. I didn't know I wanted to be a scientist because I didn't know I was allowed to choose science. And oddly enough, it took a movie called Contact. That was, a, um, that was the movie version of Carl Sagan's book, Contact. That's right, yeah. And he made a female lead. She was leading an astronomy project. And I walked into the theater not knowing anything really about astronomy. And I walked out and I was like, oh... That's my profession. That's what I want to do. And I walked back into college the semester that started. I marched into the physics department and I said, "I'm changing my major from general general studies. That's and awesome. I am going to be a scientist." <laughs> and I was really bad at it at first, FYI. Big they, they, failure. They, they tried to ask me to leave, and I said no. <laughs> ah, that's <laughs> Thank great. Thank goodness. That's okay. great. Yep. Yeah. Here's a wear one real quick. We have twenty-five <laughs> seconds, so, 25 so we're do very quickly. Where do you see the field of astrophysics going oh, next? I, that's a big one. Ooh.
1: I'm, I'm going to say to the cosmos. No, yeah. I'm joking. The
2: <laughs> field of astrophysics is going towards more questions that are going to lead us into discovering planets and uh, bigger, more mysterious questions that we might be able to answer.
0: And we're down on time, so. I love it, though. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for wow. playing, because I, I was, I was, was, it was a little new segment. That just was it cool. Out.
1: I like that new segment, Natalia.
0: A little R2D2 cookie jar for the folks at home. It's very cute. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, that's allowed. Just noise. decapitated
1: R2 R2 R2D. It's R2D2 oh. now. <laughs>
0: Oh, Chucky, slay me. Nice, slay R2D2. Okay, guys, we got to wrap it up. So, uh, you've been listening to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your host, Atalia Reagan. And Chuck Nice, thank you so much for co hosting today. Pleasure. Dr. Jackie Faherty, thank you so much for being here from the American sure. Museum of Natural History. Where can we find you?
2: Oh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I tweet a lot of things about astronomy. So, hey. at Jay Faraday. At Jay Faraday. Find me there. Uh, that's the main place. And ba- again, at uh, Backyard Worlds. And check out backyardworlds.org. Give yourself a little bit of time to get used to, to make, make your account and then start blinking objects. Go
0: for it. Where can folks find you, Chuck?
1: Uh, I'll be home in my living room this evening, um, <laughs> probably listening to a little bit of jazz and having a snifter of brandy. Stop by. No. Um, <laughs> I'm, <still laughs> uh, I'm at I'm Chuck Nice. To. At Chuck Nice Comic on pretty much everything. Twitter, Instagram, and the rest.
0: Great. So I've been your host, Natalia Reagan. You can find me on Twitter at Natalia13Reagan. Same with Instagram. And remember to keep staying curious. Keep looking up because you can possibly find the next planet. You no, know, worlds. World, world. World nine. World nine. World, world nine. nine. So thank you so much, guys. science like Galileo, drop the orange. Thanks to MyRadar for supporting StarTalk All-Stars. Download the MyRadar app for detailed weather updates and analysis throughout the day. And download the free MyRadar app for a full instant snapshot of the weather near you and around the world.